Well, hey, everybody, welcome to episode 205 of the More Than Just Code podcast. My name is still Timitra, and I am still in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined once again by Mark Rubin down in San Jose, California. Hello. And I've also got Jaime Lopez Jr. on the line from Seattle, Washington. How's it going? Okie dokie. All right. Can't not say all righty. <laughs> all right, so I guess we'll dive into some Ask MTJC. So, Jaime, do you have any Ask MTJC? Yeah, I think this is a follow-up to us talking about the touch bar. So, friend of the show and sometimes co-host Greg Heo says, Tim, uh, uh, touch bar tips for brightness and volume, if you didn't know. You can yeah. uh, tap and hold the button, then you can drag left and right to sort of scrub through, uh, rather than doing, I don't know, I don't have one of those, I'm guessing it's probably well, so, like a step yeah, function Yeah, just before. a bit of context here, what I what I had said on the show was it's like two taps to get to, so so the way I've been doing it is you've got, when you, what you see is you see like a, a volume control, like a little speaker, and then you have the mute, unmute button, or unmute icon, and so I've been, you tap the the, the speaker icon, and then, then the scrubber appears, right? So I had said that it takes two taps because I tap once to, to to reveal the scrubber, and then I have to go and scrub. And to me, that was two clicks. But what Greg's shortcut here is saying, tap the speaker, but hold it, and then it be, turns into the scrubber, and then you can sw- swing your finger back and forth. So that's super handy. I haven't tried it yet, but that's thanks, Greg, for that one. So continue. Right, and, and apparently you can also do a quick left or right flick on the button to change stepwise. Yeah, that's cool, yeah. Another friend of the show, Jesse Catterwall, replied, holy moly. Yeah, that was good. Yep, and there's even more text, more conversation. Yeah, most of the time, I, I mentioned on on the on the uh, show that most of the time my um, sound on my Mac we are we have a quiet zone office kind of thing, right? and nobody has their phones turned on, like ringers turned on, or all of our computers, whether it's PC or Mac, there's no audible sounds, um, and you, you kind of really notice it when somebody forgets to turn their phone off or whatever, and you hear like rings and alerts and stuff. But yeah, so but but if I plug in to use my Jabber, you know, uh, telephone client, you know, I have to remember to turn the volume, turn the sound back on again. So kind of annoying. Anyway, but it's super handy tips. I'm, I'm glad that uh, I haven't tried it out, but I'll, I'll give that a spin as well. Do we have any more SKMTJC? I didn't see any. Was was there another one that just came in? Uh, no, I just I thought there were two. Uh, oh, I mean, yeah, he's just yelling. Going back to going <laughs> Yeah, back the other one just school. rolls into uh, discussions about uh, Canadian geography. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, he's right. I had said I mistakenly thought that Northwest Territories was butted up against Alaska, but in fact, it's uh, Yukon Territory that's butted up against Alaska, which is what Greg was reminding me of. But as I said last, I left geography class 40 years ago, and I'm not really looking back. All right. Let's move on to some fact checks. So I had mentioned, uh, I wasn't sure how big Rogers Center was. I was talking about the Foo Fighters in the after show. Um, And apparently Rogers Center seats up to 55,000 people. So depending on the configuration of the concert or whatever, they can can seat, you know, 10,000 people up to 55,000 people. So they had, you know, the, I don't know if you guys, you've probably watched baseball games at, at, at the Rogers Center for the Blue Jays. So the, the, they usually set the um, the stage at center field, if you will. So they usually black and where the jumb- jumbotron is, and so they black all that out and, and cover it all up and put the stage in front. So they don't sell the seats directly behind, like sort of on an angle behind the stage, because there would be nothing to see. Um, so I would say it's not quite fifty five thousand, but I would probably put it maybe at forty thousand people were in that audience. So quite quite a big audience. Um, and then as well at, at around one twelve of last week's pro- podcast, I mentioned uh, about Flixel. And um, I just uh, asked Mark to give Mark uh, Pavlidis to give me uh, some uh, a shout out if there's anything incorrect or whatever. 
he said there's nothing really uh, you know scathingly wrong with what I said, except they don't have four pricing plans; they only have three. Um, and uh, he said that uh, the the file sharing system I talked about is actually they use it, they use iCloud actually for that, and it's allow it allows them to share um, files between the two uh, systems and to embed cinemagraphs, uh, make it easier for them to share and embed cinemagraphs uh, through the iCloud system. But they call it Flixel Cloud. So oh uh, oh sorry, they have a service called they they do the sharing between the platforms with iCloud and they do the the, uh, the sharing with out people outside of the uh, iOS and macOS uh, sphere using their their product called Flixel Cloud. All right. And the, another um, fact check was I was talking about Braille uh, last week, I think, and uh, or two weeks ago. Last week was it last week we were talking about Braille? And I mentioned that there are dots on the Canadian uh, uh, bills, mm-hmm. and I was I thought they were they're Braille essentially, where they're, they're the equivalent of Braille, but they're not actually Braille. Like they don't mean a hundred dollars or five dollars or twenty dollars, but uh, they have a series of of uh, dots on the bill, which I hadn't really noticed to be honest with you. With you. So like if it has one set of dots, then it's a five dollar bill. Uh, if two is ten dollar bill, three three sets of dots is twenty. You know, four for fifty dollar bill, and and two separated by a smooth surface is um, how they denote a hundred dollar bill. So and in the video that's I'll link in the show notes here. There's a little there's a little device that you can feed the bill through and it'll and it'll read the dots I guess and and speak to the person what uh, what the denomination is. So cool stuff. Just how we I don't know I don't know if you guys have anything like that on your do you have new you have new American bills coming out soon don't you or reissuing them? They changed the designs a few years back, uh, but no uh, no bumps on them. Right, right. Yeah, and I, I thought it was pretty interesting that they determined that you know Braille while good uh, wasn't quite appropriate for all of the people who have sight problems because not everybody knows Braille. So they came up with a system that seems pretty sensible, except I'm a little unclear. Like, I'd like to see a picture of the 100 to see what the difference yeah. is, because it looks like the description makes it sound like you could confuse it for a $10 bill, but I'm sure they did a good enough job, you know, making sure that it's very easy to tell the difference. Um, yeah, well, it says separate, but well, I mean, our, our bills are now polymer, so they're very sort of slick, you know, so uh, it's probably, it probably does feel different. I mean, you know, if you're not sighted, you can, uh, or you have vision problems, you'll probably be quite good at feeling things with your fingers, right? Um, interesting stuff in, in the screenshot that they've got here. I don't know if you looked at the notes here, but there's on our $20 bill, there's a, I'm going to, I'm doing air quotes here, maple leaf. Um, but the funny thing is that's not a maple leaf on the bill. I don't know why they chose that that particular uh, leaf, but I believe it's a Norwegian maple or something like that, or, or uh, which is actually a weed. So just funny that they've, they haven't changed that artwork. So I guess the, the tree people can let us know, but a friend of mine who is an arborist was just telling me that it's actually a Norwegian, Norwegian maple, not a maple leaf on the bill. It's, I'm sure it must be some sort of anti-theft sort of thing that, oh, that it they is. try yeah, to yeah, compromise yeah. on because it kind of looks like bullet holes now that I see a whole bunch of them next to each other. Well, like this the, is a this is a this is like you know it's actually reflective material and there's like a sort of hologram in the middle there, right? So there's a bunch of you know like you said theft deterrent deterrent systems on there. Our new bills have like a strip where it's actually clear; you can see right through the bill, and there's like a hologram lasered onto it. So you can hold it up to the light and check it for to make it make sure it's authentic. All, you know they try and do all these things to make make it harder for um, counterfeiters. But uh, I don't believe that they've ever found a, a system either in American money or Canadian money that's completely foolproof. No, no, I don't. I, I, there's always a, a cat and mouse game on that. And maybe the last thing I'll ask here. So I didn't know that there was like a physical reader for people that could do that. Are there any apps that help people? I mean, it, of course, your your mileage may vary, and maybe it's fooling you into think you're. you're 
your five dollars or hundred dollars and that sort of thing. But is there anything out there in the app store that people? Do you know what there use? is? There is an app, and and uh, a friend of mine, um, I'm drawing a blank on what his name is. Uh, um, so one of the guys, one of the editors on um, the Ray Wonderly. Um, but he was he tweeted out a couple of weeks ago that that he like he there's a, a I guess in the app you can tweet out saying I helped uh, a site a problem with vision person a blind person or a person with sight problems. There's an app called See For Me or something like that, and um, we talked about it on the show like back in the early early days of our show. And um, it uh, a, fl- a blind person can go and take a picture or something with their phone, or they can I guess they use the camera on their phone, and then you as their as their eyes look at the the image that's that's brought broadcast you like i guess through like a screen sharing kind of thing or a facetime kind of thing and you can tell them what they're looking at so that's that's kind of a cool app for for helping uh the blind to see as it were you've not heard of that app or you don't remember talking about that i think there was one it's like be my eyes be my was, eyes yeah yeah let me just yeah. see if got it it wasn't wasn't that long ago let me see if we can find them on my phone no but i was thinking more of like a i don't know like a machine learning based one for example oh You're like true, hey yeah. a 20 dollar bill looks pretty much like a 20 dollar bill you know if you can get the thing mostly in frame yeah, I mean, I guess technically you could you could get a piece of polymer and stamp some dots in it and hand it to, to an unsighted person and say, here's your $20 bill, and it, in fact, it's just a piece of polymer with some dots in it, right? That would be pretty mean. That would be pretty mean, but I'm sure, sure, yeah, <laughs> that would be pretty mean. Let's leave it there. Yeah, I think it's Be My Eyes, you're right. Rolling, scrolling, scrolling. I like too many things on on Twitter. Talk amongst yourselves. <laughs> I mean, oh, by the way, the, uh, Veggie Wong Grill in Seattle. <laughs> veggie Grill. It sounds familiar. I think you might have it by some of the Amazon buildings. Let me let me look them up online. Because I think they do also have the uh, either Beyond Meat or Impossible Burger. Let's see. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, what's the closest one? Okay, yeah. There's definitely some, and it's not like you know, I've definitely been there before, but uh, a few years ago, long before they had the Impossible Burger, so. Apparently need to make a trip down there again to try it out. Uh, it looks like it's Beyond Burger because they call it the VG Beyond Burger. Yep, Beyond Meat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I, I mean, I did my best to try to cook it, but it's weird because it, it comes as you know a pink patty, like a burger, but it doesn't it doesn't cook the same way a normal burger does. It's like three minutes per side is what they say. Hmm. Oh, really? Yeah, and it's, it's like long? it's obviously still going to be pink, right? It's not like, oh, well, you know, how pink do you want this burger to be? Then you can just sort of judge it based on, you know, decades of history now, you know, personal history cooking burgers. Um so I don't, I don't know if I did a good job cooking it, but I, I didn't do too bad following the instructions. Wow. You know, these things may be vegetarian, but they're not necessarily particularly healthy. In terms of calories? Uh, 620 calories, 37 grams of fat, of which 13 grams are saturated fat, 1,420 milligrams of sodium, and 49 carbs. Let's see what happens if you take the We're meat. all going to die. We're all going to die. And it's not the cheese. It's the special sauce. Uh, oh, the bun's a lot of it, which is not surprising, I guess. Well, it's funny, you know, at NW they say, it's not truly vegetarian unless you unless you don't get the mayonnaise on it, right? Because it has yeah. egg in it. Right, yeah. Although, I'm sure, I know a lot of vegetarians who eat, who still eat eggs. Because they're not officially chickens, right? It's complicated. Those are ovo-vegetarians. Is that what they are? Yeah, and then there's people who will make exceptions for fish, uh, pes- like pescatarians, and probably all sorts of combinations. All right, I can't find this guy. Boom. All right, moving on. Where were we? Yeah, so that was our follow-up. Thanks, Greg. All right, so... Oh, <laughs> you found a link here on the about the maple leaf? Mm-hmm. That was Mark? That was me. Yeah, maple leaf. Can I put the wrong leaf on maple leaf? So the representative leaf. from so Bank of right. Canada says it's not a Norway maple leaf. It's just a stylized version of the regular Canadian maple leaf. Oh, the regular Canadian one. The, okay. They call it a sugar sure. maple leaf. Is that what it's actually called? Possibly. I guess we'll have to... I have a friend who makes honey, or not honey, a maple syrup, so I can ask them. Thanks. 
see it on the $100 bill there, too, Jaime. But I can't see the dots. Oh, I see the dots. Yeah, there's a picture of the $100 bill there, Jaime. Let me see. There's a nice close-up picture to see. Yeah, so uh, the C in Canada has a, has the six dots, and then just above this uh, dude on the... Looks like Sir Robert Borden, Prime Minister. I can't read the dates, but yeah. Under, above Robert Borden, Borden's head, there's a couple of uh, things there. Oh, I, I see, I see. Oh, right. So when they said it's a further distance, they meant it's not even close to the same yeah. distance as the 10. So they, they thought right. about that. Far away. Yeah, it's like 10 with a bunch of zeros, right? <laughs> <laughs> You're right. The negative space. And you see the part like the 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 part on the just about the right hand very right hand side you see the how the prime minister's face is reflected again there that's the part that's like a picture of the hologram that that you would get in the in the clear part right so right. depending on where you how how you hold it in the light it, it uh, reflects up or not but I think the coolest thing about our money is that the um, five dollar bill has the Canada arm on it and. Um, supposedly Chris Hatfield as the uh, astronaut there. Oh, you can see the the Queen's face on the the $20 bill that they're holding there in the picture. You see, like, the parliament top of our parliament building, and then you see the Queen's face. That's in the hologram. Right. But your $5 yeah. bill can no longer be turned into the Spock 5, right? No, it's true. It's that, not the same guy. Or not the same picture, at least. Yeah, different. It was, it's John A. MacDonald, but, who was our first prime minister. But, um, yeah, there was a <laughs> classic, uh, classic trick people used to do by turning it into Mr. Spock. <laughs> Just drawing on his face. There's a way to do the Queen's bum on all of our bills, too, but I, we won't get into that one. I'll just leave it to your imaginations. All right. So, Hamid, you got some follow-up here about the Mac Pro keyboard, which you were all worried about. Yeah. So, despite Apple's you know silence and claims to the contrary, depending on, on who's doing the asking, that the the new keyboard design was you know with the new membrane underneath each key. Oh, that's just you know for sound. A lot of people are saying, mm, you know, that's a nice benefit, a nice side benefit that it reduces sound. But apparently, uh, some documents for that were sent to Apple authorized service providers and obtained by Mac Rumor. Right. Um, explicitly say the keyboard has a membrane under the keycaps to prevent debris from entering the butterfly mechanism. Ah, and nice. here are the changes for you know the sorts of repairs that you need to do. Well, I've heard people say that the keyboard is loud. I don't know if you've heard that. It's not quite as clacky as, as Greg's you know intentionally clacky keyboard. But uh, when you hear people hammering away on them, they, they don't move very very far. So it's it, but people still sort of t- tend to type with the same pressure. I, they are quite loud. So I assume that would be a, it would do have a certain sound buffering effect to it. But yeah. Definitely, I think this is a, this is like a condom, as some people are calling it, right? Keyboard condom. I don't see why this is a bad thing. I mean, Apple has acknowledged that this is a real problem, so if they actually sure. came up with a fix, why why are they trying to hide it? That's I don't understand that. Why is Apple trying to hide it, yeah. or why are people bashing Apple? Well, so why is Apple trying to hide it? People are bashing Apple because it seems like Apple's lying about it, right? Or not maybe not lying, mm. but not being fully forthcoming about it. But, and I don't right. understand why Apple is not being more forthcoming, unless I don't know. Maybe they think that maybe they don't want to acknowledge the problem is as big as it is or maybe they they want to you know maybe they want to stave off people thinking that they only made a halfway solution or something i don't know right but it seems like liability concerns nothing true yeah i don't know yeah they seem to uh i mean apple always sort of they they try they they do tend to try and keep their cards close to their chest right True. in a lot of cases so and maybe maybe by admitting there was a problem then they they open themselves up to to some legal issues yeah that's that's possible yeah yeah Yeah. so you know if you don't if you don't you know wait for the lawyers to admit that it's you know, real in court or something like that when it when it actually matters maybe yeah i'm hypothesizing i have no idea yeah yep. yeah so I, I felt better when i read that you know i'd still like to see people yeah. <laughs> shove it into the ground at, at the beach and, and see if it still works yeah um, well, some dude had put uh cheesies on top of his keyboard and the comment i saw when he posted the picture online was somebody said close the lid yeah you, yeah. you can't have whole <laughs> cheetos like the not 
enough dust comes off of it, you know, naturally. It's, it's yeah. not like Tinkerbell yeah. where, like, she's just letting the, the fairy dust fall off her body. Yeah. And crunch those. So that made me feel better. And then, like, a day later, something made me feel worse about it. <laughs> Let's see if I can recap what happened here. So somebody was doing testing on um, the various versions of the MacBook Pro. So remember, we talked about the difference between the Core i7 and the Core i9. And people say, hey, wait a minute. Like, this thing heats up pretty fast. And uh, the Core i9 ends up throttling itself because of the heat. And it actually is slower than the i7 once it starts firing. Really? You know, yeah. Doing heavy processing. And they say, mm, well, let's shove it in a freezer and see if we can keep it going for longer. And yep, sure enough, it performed better for longer until it got hot enough. And then it starts throttling itself. Right. So people were, you know, on the interwebs, as they do, they were like mass conspiracy. Like, oh, no, this is like a huge problem. Apple can't possibly fix this. It's it's doom, doom, doom. Right. And then Apple's like, oh, uh, turns out we forgot a key in some of the firmware. Right. We've included that key. And some people have verified that, yep, it sure does fix the problem after all. So it was, yeah. a, it was a lot of uh, a lot of storm online. A lot of people probably eating some uh, some claim chowder and, and some crow. But uh, still, still people persist and, and believe like, well, you know, all they did was like make it so that it doesn't shut itself down. It's probably still unsafe in some way. So I'm still kind of unsure as to how I feel about it. But I wasn't going to buy an i9 anyway, so I'm yeah, still feeling yeah. pretty good now. Well, there was a, I posted a link here from uh, Instagram, uh, Rene Ritchie who's got a new podcast called Vector uh, put up put, put posted a quick like one minute video on um, on Instagram and he's got the the statement from Apple overlaid like the like the what do you call it the scroll in Star Wars you know where it's kind of flying into the into the video uh, and he talks about the fact that yeah they, they've they've discovered that they they missed a piece in the firmware and again which comes back to quality control again doesn't it yeah but but uh, yeah they missed this piece and, and uh, sure enough uh, they've made a statement saying they they fixed it in this latest I guess as a, a patch to what would be at uh, ten three five right so ten three six is it ten three six the patch yeah no we're uh, we were already on ten three six so the patch would be well were we sorry ten thirteen six thirteen six yeah yeah, yeah yeah that was before the patch I think right okay yeah, I'm only on ten thirteen five right here at home and same at uh, my machines at work but anywho yeah okay cool. Yeah, I'm glad they fixed it, but yeah, <laughs> it's unclear if they didn't test it going out or as other people surmised that QA had occurred. And then, you know, there's always somebody who wants to sneak in one last pull request yep. <laughs> before things yep. go to production, despite people saying, no, please don't do that at 5 p.m. on a Friday. Yeah. Oh, hey, well, yeah, let me fix this too. I'm at it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it, it always goes wrong. Never, never, ever do <laughs> the one last fix thing unless you have the proper procedures around. Because then stuff like this happens, even if you're uh, an almost trillion dollar company. Um, just, just follow your procedures, folks. That's true. You know, it's funny. This goes all the way back to my my second Mac. Um, my first Mac was a Mac 2CX. My second was I bought a brand new Mac 2FX, state-of-the-art computer, and I bought the fancy 824GC graphic accelerated video card for my 13-inch monitor and all that kind of stuff. And everything worked fine except for Adobe Illustrator wouldn't preview color previews, right, which is a, a mode that used to do switch between drawing and previewing back in those early, early days. You would get basically a white screen, and it turned out that there was a, a patch for the card missing. And this is going back to like 1990, I think. So it's not like the first time Apple's released a product that had a problem, <laughs> you know. And I'm sure they they released ones before that too, right? And they're pretty quick to get a patch out as well. But yeah, it's gonna happen. It's happened before. It's gonna happen again. All right. Um, 
Yeah, so I've, I just speaking of more problems from Apple. Apparently, the app, the T2 chip, which is used in the, um, it's in the Mac Pro, iMac Pro, and I think it's going to be in. The, it's in some of the new uh, 2018 MacBook Pros, um, and uh, yeah, iMac Pro. It's the chip that controls the um, the Touch Bar and the Touch ID. Apparently, uh, it's been causing crashing problems for certain people, and uh, that's so that's another issue that people are reporting online about this. So there's a link here in the. Chat show notes don't know when it's from today maybe yeah, yeah that one was was fairly recent that people started talking about at least in relation to the 2018 macbook pro so it was very it was a very dramatic week this week for, for the 2018 macbook pro um i don't i don't i don't think i've seen as much about people chiming in on this one so i'm hoping that it's and this is baseless speculation i'm hoping that it's some sort of um variability problem in the manufacturing of the t2 chips where vast majority of them are perfectly fine but then there's some of them that have some slight, you know, slightly out of spec in some way, and it causes crashes when it doesn't, you know, link up with everything properly in the integrated system. Right, right, yeah. Because if it was a fundamental flaw, I think you'd see more people. Um, certainly with, with the iMac Pros, people would have jumped on it, you know, because it's been out for months, right? Uh, it certainly gets more attention because of the, the issues um, with the 2018 MacBook Pro that have subsequently been resolved. Uh, it's one to keep an eye on, but I, I, I'm guessing that it's probably more like you've got yield problems they'll figure out like oh here's the part of the process that needs to be changed and then probably hardly anybody will even see this yeah that's that's kind of best case worst case is they have to do a uh, design spin on the chip and then that will take a long time and well really? it'll cost a lot of money for apple but well for them it's, it's a drop in the bucket but yeah to make a new uh, a new mask set for these things i mean it's you know with with the advanced technologies just to make the set of masks that, that you use to manufacture the chips is like at least a million bucks just to make the masks uh and then you have to run it through the fab which will take you know several months to uh to get them in production so yeah this it would be a big problem if it's really a chip issue if it is a if it is just a, a process tweak then you know yeah that could be that could cause like a thermal issue or something uh where you know you're getting too much current running through one spot and and so it heats up and then shuts down that possibly you could fix just by tweaking the uh the manufacturing process so hopefully it's just that yeah yeah yeah, a million dollars sounds like a lot, but then I'm like, well, for a nearly trillion dollar company. Yeah. 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 I'm like, well, if I was Tim Cook, I'd be like, <laughs> instead of wallpaper, guess what I'm putting on my walls? I'm putting these million dollar, right. <laughs> these million dollar masks <laughs> on my wall. <laughs> or you'll tile, you tile his uh, bathroom in T2 chips. Uh, <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. All right. Uh, I doubt he'd do that. All right. Um, okay. So, Hami, you got another one here about uh, Twitter? Yeah. If, if people are, you know, shaking their fists and, and tired of being angry at Apple, it can make you angry at Twitter. Um, <laughs> apparently, they're uh, adding new developer requirements to their, their platform. Um, as many of the folks who still continue to make Twitter clients are aware, this is kind of something that came out of the blue. I, I believe it's coming from a relatively good place, even if it was, in my opinion, handled kind of clunky. And that Apple sorry, Twitter is really trying to crack down on spam and fake news and scams right. and all these other things, right? Like to the point where they've shut down millions upon millions of accounts that they verify, uh, that they believe to be bots, for example. And so as part of that, they're, um, 
they're starting a new app registration process. So anybody who wants to uh, have access to Twitter's API has to apply for a developer account using their new portal. Um, you're going to have to provide detailed information on how you're going to be using the API. So you're providing use case questions and answers. And they're going to limit the default number of apps that you can have registered to a single developer account to 10. And uh, they're rate, doing rate limits for their post endpoints and, and many other things that are probably good for the platform. But I think they're having to take a very draconian take because of just how bad the um, you know spams and fake news and manipulated conversations and privacy things that everybody's dealing with post uh, Cambridge Analytica with Facebook and uh, general data protection regulations, GDPR stuff. It's like the whole sort of online world is like really focused on making sure that everything's on the up and up. But I mean, well, it still doesn't make it better for people who've you know built their businesses on Twitter APIs or people who still continue to have that. Um, is the sad reality. True, but this is why we can't have nice things, you know, unless because because people out there are, are jerks and take advantage of things. And I, I'm surprised actually that I mean Facebook's been doing that for a while where they, you have to register an app before you can use it using their platform. Yeah, you have to um, actually send them Apple a, does. A, a simulator build of, of your app. At least you used to. With Facebook? For Facebook. Yeah. 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 Since like twenty fifteen, right. I remember yep. when they changed because we were using the um post or uh yeah, post and update to Facebook sort of thing. And the, you had to show them like how you were using it and you had to make sure you weren't pre-populating the text and all these other sort of like anti-spam sort of things that they were dealing with. Yep. Right, right. Hmm. Interesting. Well, I mean, it's, you know, it's good for them. It's too bad. I mean, yeah. I'm, again, if you have a legitimate app, it's not that big a deal to, to in my opinion, to uh, go ahead and just register. Yeah. Right? So. You know, and, and you know, the, the Twitter world right now can be a pretty nasty place, right? There's lots of lots of stuff going on out there. So it's, it, it, I think it's actually a good thing for them to start trying to control things a little better. Yeah. By the way, I don't know if you've noticed or not, but Twitter stock is way up from where it was. Remember, it was losing money for a while there. Yeah. Yeah. I bought stock early. Oops. I bought stock early in the day. And uh, let's see, it's up to uh, $44. I think that's Canadian. It's been it's been rising up. So if you, if you had it early and you held on to it, you've got some money in your pocket. All right. Um, so, honey, you got something here about beer and water? Yeah. So oh, right. th- this is, um, if you recall, Apple business chat was something that Apple had talked about. Like, hey, you can, your business can integrate right, yeah. sort of seamlessly with uh, iMessage to you know handle various things. And in my opinion, and I really wish we had this at Safeco in uh, Safeco Field, that is in Seattle, uh, the Philadelphia Phillies at Citizens Bank Park are offering a really nice way for you if you're in certain sections to get uh, beer or water delivered right to your seats. You don't have to get up and miss right. any of the game or you know wait for you know in between innings and try to run to the bathroom that nobody's going to and all those sorts of things that you try to do not miss the game here as they show in their you know 45 second ish video you pretty much just pull out this card from uh your seat and it's got a little qr code it takes you straight into the spot you want it gives you the little iMessage ui of like hey what do you want to what do you want to buy in this case a handful of options for water and different kinds of beer and then you can just sort of seamlessly pay with apple pay right there and then one fine concessionaire will bring it to you just nice like the wave of the future right this is this is what they promised us for the 21st century yeah they have that kind of thing in some of the the you know platinum color kind of seats at uh, some of our sports venues up here but yeah you have to have some ordering system or wait for the lady to come to you but yeah this is this is guys kind of nice to be able to uh, to order the the brew to you as they call it with the number two there the number two in there um to your seats sort of thing cool that's an interesting use of, of that i was just wondering like maybe we could you know some come up with some way of doing that at the bank you know order some stock 
stock or make a bill payment or something. If they could run a cashier's check out to you because yeah, you're right. sitting there trying to, you know, you just moved to a new place and you're, you have to pay the deposit and it turns out there's a security fee that they, they didn't tell you about or you're trying to put a down payment or, do, you know, put earnest money down for buying a house. Like those are issues where people have to go to their bank and be like, yo, I, I need a cashier's check. It can't be my personal. Or even just check. some cash, right? Like <laughs> some dude who runs over to you and hands you this wad of cash. That would be cool. Yeah, yeah. So, Tim, my yeah. bank has a whole bunch of stuff now that's kind of like, you know, Apple Pay-ish type of stuff where you can, you can or Venmo stuff where you can transfer money to your friends or use it to pay it. Yeah, we have that NFC. here. Yeah. So that's kind of the same thing. You just don't need the actual cash, right? That's true. Well, we have, we have unlike, I think one of the reasons why we haven't got the Apple Cash up here just yet, um, like you guys do, or Venmo or whatever, is we have this system called Interact, and you can send money to people. And recently, like in the in the TD app, they, they and I think in the other banking apps as well, they've intro- introduced this thing through Interact where I can register my email address, and then you can send me money, and it, it automatically deposits into the account that I designate, right? So you can, you, if, you know, if we were sharing a cab or whatever, you could just fire the money over to me for your half of the cab, and I don't have to do anything. It just automatically arrives in my account. It's kind of like you're doing a deposit, and that's all done through the mobile apps or, or, or online as well, like through the browser as well. Yeah, same idea. That's cool. But I still like the idea of somebody coming, you know, delivering me $900 in cash so I can pay to have my car fixed or something, right? Come on, work with me here. Yeah, sure. (laughs) (laughs) It's like the only way this could be more futuristic is if like a drone delivered it to you instead of a person. That's true. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's kind of like ordering Amazon online and having a drone deliver it to you, right? You guys still get same day delivery, right, down there in the States? Some stuff, not everything. Yeah. Yeah, and we can get stuff within an hour. Again, some stuff. and Within an hour? Yeah, Prime Now, it's it's great. Uh, It's like an $8 fee, so I never use the one hour. I use the free two hour. Oh, right, right. (laughs) Two hours for free. Yeah. Wow, that's crazy. Crazy. All right. Yeah, I need an air conditioner. Stat. Yeah, that's not getting delivered in an hour. (laughs) (laughs) Uh I dropped my iPhone. Oh, no. Oh, wait. Amazon. Prime Now. iPhone, please. All right. Uh, So, how many got something? Password rules. Yeah, this is a couple different things. So, one, it is the part of the glorious return of Matt Triple T Thompson, who Woo-hoo. did uh, all sorts of good stuff for NS Hipster and then went dark because he was at the uh, fruit company. But now he's back out in the real world and he's putting good stuff up like um, the password rules thing. So Apple had talked about that with um, WWDC and like, hey, you can, um, you know, with this whole iCloud keychain sort of thing that you can let people sort of seamlessly create strong passwords instead of, you know, password one, two, three, four, five, or birthdays and stuff. And right. uh, depending on your, your app or your system, you might have particular rules about what that might be. And this is a really nice, pretty easy to understand blog post about the various things that you can ask for, like you know, what's required, you know, what is uh, allowed, like the minimum length, the maximum length, the maximum consecutive number of uh, characters allowed, and then the, the kinds of classes for the text, like upper and lowercase uh, digits, special characters, ASCII printable in Unicode, which I think is kind of interesting mm-hmm. um, and there's even a password rules validation tool that apple has that you can you can try out and generate passwords and then try them with your system just to make sure you know that it's actually compatible with what your authentication system is so how do i use this is this just for safari autofill or uh i believe safari adds that as well um he talks about it somewhere at the bottom yeah there or we go so specifying like the, password if you rules. have the password autofill on your on your like your ios app for a login page or something like that in your app yeah so he shows how you could do it 
with um, Swift for an iOS app or presumably a Mac app or on the web, you put your input type of password and then the password rules you want. Presumably that only works on Safari as you would expect. Um, and then he has a little bit of a section there on uh, using Swift to make the, what is unfortunately a very stringly typed way of generating these things into something that is, you know, strongly typed and, and therefore safer than that. So it's, it's hmm. pretty easy to, to read. It's not a very long article. It probably takes you like five, 10 minutes to read if you're, if you're really looking at the code. Sure. Yeah. Cool. All right. Yeah. He showed up at one of our, he spoke at one of our uh, NS North, I think the year before you came, I mean, up in Ottawa. Ottawa. All right. Mm -hmm. um, this is me now. So yeah. So Carol left me a, an article in the Toronto Star that was published in the Toronto Star and it's an excerpt from the Wall Street Journal talking about um, the trade, uh, the, the tariff um, wars or whatever you want to call it going on between the U.S. and China. And um, the concern is that uh, they set certain levels in terms of where the uh, the tariffs are set. But if there's a Trump is, is threatening to raise the tariff up to 500 billion U.S., which if he does do that, it will it will uh, grab companies like Apple and Fitbit into its sphere. So things like your iPhone and your your Fitbit and your Apple Watch may, in fact, cost you more money in the future in the near future is actually so um just get some details here so like and, and I, he had promised to uh to um tim cook and a few other people when he had some of his summits with them that he would he wouldn't uh it wouldn't necessarily affect apple but uh, but this article here points out that um in fact it could it could push it well up into the 500 billion and affect apple's sale i think apple was 16 billion well and it could have deeper effects too you know if, if there's something like what's going on with the with soybeans right now uh, mm -hmm. in retaliation for the tariffs that the US has put up essentially China has stopped importing soybeans from the US and they were one of the biggest customers in the world so users oh, okay so yeah. essentially the the farmers in the US are really hurting right now because of this because of the retaliatory tariffs mm -hmm. so if China in response in response to this said okay well we're stopping the import of iPhones everyone in China go buy a you know a Xiaomi or something like that right and, you know, um, then that will hurt Apple's business a lot. Yeah, they're saying here that uh, that the iPhone could. It's going talking about going up by ten percent. You know, adding a thirty-seven dollars to the the import price of three sixty-eight for an iPhone ten would increase by another thirty-seven dollars, which in turn would then get bumped up. And by the time it hits us, it'll uh, be a bit more expensive. Yeah, it, it's it's funny. I don't know how they're, they they justify this stuff. I mean, and Trump's position initially was, you know, when he I guess when he was running for president was that you know get all these companies to bring their business back to the United States. Um, and have them, you know, uh, develop the stuff here. But I mean, the reason why companies went to places like Mexico and then to China was because the cost of building things there is much more cost-effective, right? And therefore, they can make, you know, have lower prices to, to us consumers, and you know, and better profitability for them. But um, all this, you know, um, bullying tactics and threat tactics are, are just going to end up costing everybody more money, right? Yeah. So, well, it's it's actually even even worse than than that. Uh, so we're where, where the U.S. used to be the leader in electronics, you know, design and manufacturing, uh, right. it really is not anymore. It's it's been hasn't been for a long time. I mean, certainly for things like uh, chip manufacturing and test and assembly of electronics, almost none of that is done in the U.S. right now. And if you decided, if someone decided tomorrow that okay, we're going to do all that here, uh, it's it, it would take not only would it take a really long time because we don't we just don't have the expertise in terms of companies who can do that anymore. Uh, it 
it would be enormously expensive. I mean, to build some of these plants costs billions and billions of dollars and, and takes it would take you know years to ramp it all up. So we'd, we'd really cripple the U.S. Uh, electronics industry if, if, if we did it, it did some of that stuff. It's, it, it's, it's a really treacherous path to go down from an economic point of yeah, view. Yeah, yeah. I was listening to that. There was a repeat of that. Uh, I talked about you know, months and months ago about the woman who's doing the special on recycling uh, electronic goods and she had visited the Foxconn plant and apparently it's it's like blocks and blocks and blocks long. I mean, like you just imagine how, how long these, uh, these assembly locations are for these, yep. these uh, you know, they run like military outposts kind of thing and yeah. there just isn't the infrastructure to build something like that in, in any short order, right? And I know that Apple has, you know, brought some data storage and they've been, you know, investing in that kind of stuff and bring, bringing some of the business back here. But yeah, I mean, we pay, we pay, I mean, we pay what, $1,000 now for an iPhone, um, you know, and that's one being built in China. I can just imagine what it would cost if it was built. If we had to have a, you know, factory built here in, in the United States or Canada or Mexico or whatever, and uh, and then um, how much more that would add to the price of the, the goods, right? Electronic goods. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, not good. Any thoughts on this, Jaime? I think it's something to, to keep an eye on, uh, more so for probably quarterly results, because as we mentioned before, either Apple will have to pass on the cost to consumers, which I think in my mind is a little less likely because that, you know, that nine ninety nine base price for the iPhone 10 is a, is a nice one and making it, you know, a thousand thirty six is weird and, and a very difficult right. to put on a billboard number. So I imagine they'll probably just eat, eat that as a higher cost to them, but that's going to show up on the numbers somewhere, right? If it doesn't show up for you as a consumer, it shows up in, uh, you know, articles that get sent to the Macalope about how Apple's doing, because look, their revenue is lower. It's like, well, yeah, that means it's lower by $37 per unit. Did you notice, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Like, like I, w- I would see them going to a thousand ninety nine to be to keep the you know the selling by nines kind of concept. But um, we had this discussion when when the iPhone eight came out and the iPhone ten price was announced. Remember, we were all talking, we were all wringing our hands about how you know no one's going to buy the iPhone ten. They're all going to switch. They're going to buy the iPhone eight because it's like you know a couple hundred dollars or three hundred dollars cheaper, or something like that. And yet we were wrong about that. And people still went out and bought the iPhone ten, right? So because um, it just it just seems to be a lot better, right? I mean, people who have that sort of money can decide they still want the premium item. Um, certainly, right, you know, I right. did. I, I'm fortunate enough to be able to make that decision. But I, you know, if this trade war type stuff continues to occur for any length of time, it does make me wonder if Apple will try to start something to have you know somebody else who's not on the uh, uh, on the trade war list, like let's say India, right? So Apple is building um, some iPhone models. I want to say it's like the 6S or something. Uh, they built some of them there in India because that was something that they needed to do to get into the Indian market because Indian government, understandably so, wants to do what China did, right? It wants to build up its local industry. It doesn't want to just be right, yeah. a market that, hey, you just you know extract money out of us. They want to be able to build up their infrastructure and industry. And it would kind of make sense if you were Apple, like, well, if we can start building up this other place, you know, if maybe not now, but decades from now, we get in some other sort of trade war situation. We don't want to have, you know, some single source that, that makes it problematic to get our phones in and have predictability. Um, that's the same reason they're trying to get uh, who is it is LG I think is an alternative to Samsung for the high quality displays right. because it, it, it really sucks having one one supplier right they want TSMC besides just Samsung and so on and so forth for the uh, Intel for the um, as an alternative to Qualcomm who they're fighting with right now right completely unrelated to trade war just uh, right. two companies disagreeing on who owes what money um, yep. and, and, and each one is beholden to the other and everybody's trying to you know reduce their risk we should clarify actually TSMC is Taiwan not China so, so oh yeah sorry I meant that as like a like as an alternative because like 
like I kept trying to think of parts and like Samsung makes almost everything that's premium in the iPhone, right? Yeah. The Samsung manufacturing piece. Right. And it's funny, I was researching this story earlier, just I don't mean to blow holes in your argument, but apparently Apple's not doing very well in India. I saw that in article as well. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so that's that's different from manufacturing there, right? So they're not doing very well in terms of selling there. And right, right. Oh, I yeah. Think, you mean it's a very different place to buy stuff, yeah. market, but I'm talking more like, look, if we can at least build them there. So like, let's, let, let's crazy talk, right? Let's say there's like 100% tariff, you know, uh, between the United States and China. It's like, well, I guess I'm not going to be producing there. Hey, India, we need you to step up your, your manufacturing. So that way we can produce more and just bypass that, right? You know, these, these phones still need to sell in December, or sorry, September. Hmm. To see, let's let's hope our cross our fingers and hope that uh, it doesn't get crazy. Can't believe I said that out loud. Yeah. <laughs> so we were talking about uh, stock prices and earnings. Uh, yeah, this will be old news by the time the show comes out. But Facebook today on Wednesday had a pretty dismal earnings report. Their stock is down twenty percent after hours. Wow. Yeah. Now after hours doesn't necessarily mean anything. Yeah, that's that's people trading on a secondary market and small numbers. So, right. the, so they tend to fluctuate a lot, but it's still uh, still not good. So they, they were hit pretty hard by all the you know, the scandals and, and, right. and yeah. everything that happened in the last quarter. Yeah, I'm just reading, I just noticed here on my stock app, an article from uh, Wired about app or Facebook is now finding that the cost of fixing all these things is, is a lot bigger than they thought. Yeah, well, one could argue that... Uh, one of the reasons their their numbers looked good before was that they weren't doing their full due diligence and spending as much as they should to, to do that. So so they uh, their numbers were artificially high, and now they're you know they're they're paying the consequences for that. Right. So after, but you were saying after after hours trading, is that like 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 other markets, like other countries? You mean? Or, no, no, no. Or so so there there are secondary markets which are not the real stock, not real official stock markets, where where you can trade shares uh, just you know through you know through other channels than the official stock market channels, uh, and some people like to do that. Um, it's it's kind of the wild wild west because it's not it it doesn't have all the safeguards and and you know, the market makers to make sure that that uh, there's you know enough supply and demand for everything like you get in the regular market. Uh, so there's you know in, in the regular market there's there's uh, what are called market makers who who always have shares available to buy and sell. So if you want to just go in and and buy shares, there's always shares available for you to buy or always shares. Oh, I see. So right. because these market makers who are who are you know investment not not investment banks but the brokers they do this they act as market makers. So there's always a market and it's always fairly liquid to, to buy and sell shares on the on the big exchanges but nothing's preventing you from you know if you have you know a, a share of Apple Tim you own it you could sell it to me right now for whatever price we decide on right if you wanted to we don't have to oh, go through a broker uh, to do that uh, so there so there are these aftermarket services who will who will you know buy and let you buy and sell stocks to people you know without without having a full uh, you know the full exchange without doing it on the main exchanges and so, but because it's a much smaller number of people and it's, it's not as well regulated and all this, it's, it's, you know, it's a little bit of like, a, you know, you know, wild, wild west, you know, whatever happens, happens kind of environment. So, so you do tend to get these very wild swings and overly exaggerated.
exaggerated reactions to things. Uh, it, it's, you know, the, the 20% drop doesn't necessarily mean anything. It doesn't mean that, that Facebook will be down 20% tomorrow, but it's not a good sign. <laughs> it does, it's, it, 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 it probably means that Facebook won't go up 20% tomorrow, right? Right, right. Interesting stuff. Yeah. All right. yeah. Okay. All right. So I guess we'll move on to our picks now that we're done with the main part, right? So mm-hmm. um, I have an interesting pick here. It was from uh, Liam Nichols on Twitter who posted this, but um, he's got a little video there on, on the, on which I'll link to on the show notes. But uh, if you record, um, if you need to record uh, video from your simulator, uh, and uh, one of the problems with recording or even doing demos um, live on the simulator or even with your phone is that people can't see where you're touching, uh, whether you're doing a single tap or whatever. But there's a default command, uh, defaults right, com.apple.iphone simulator, where you can set the uh, parameter show single touches to one. And then, so whenever you touch the simulator with your, you know, you're doing it with your mouse clearly, but it shows like a fingerprint or finger little circle there um, to show where, what row you're tapping or what have you in your in your video. So it's kind of handy little tip there. Just that's a quick one, um, which I think is cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other one was uh, brought up by one of our coworkers at uh, the office. Uh, Pavel was talking about uh, this post by um, or this this uh, software in in um, GitHub by Christoph Zablowski. Um, I don't know if we talked about lifetime tracker before. Have we talked about that one before? Do you know, guys? Know? I don't remember. No, I don't remember. I don't. I don't think so. I, I think I saw it somewhere before, but never actually tried it. Sure. So he he did a quick demo for us at the office uh, with our with one of our apps. Um, but basically, what it is is a, a pod or a Carthage a package pod or whatever you call Carthage things um, that you load into your app, and it it's a little different than instruments for for debugging memory leaks and things like that. Um, what it does, it creates a little uh, in in debug mode. It, it creates a little uh, sort of circle that flies over top of your UI and counts the number of leaks. And if you have you encounter a leak as you're using your app, uh, either on the simulator or on a device, um, and you tap on the little window, it will open up and show you where the leak is, and you can figure it out. So kind of cool, very simple thing. You know, again, just load up the pod lifetime tracker. Um, there's an if debug statement where you load it up either in Swift or, or in Objective C, um, and uh, you know, import the the uh, pro, uh, sorry, adopt the protocol lifetime trackable, tra- lifetime trackable, and then um, add a f- you know one or two lines to your code in terms of what uh, which view ca- view controller you want to uh, load it up, and you choose how many leaks you want to sort of have it uh, capture. It can be one or two or three or whatever, um, and then yeah, you just run it and uh, you know away you go. Just test out your uh, your your app and check out your leaks as you're using it. So super handy little uh, tool. I haven't used it, but I, I would caution people that these types of things tend to be very expensive from performance in a performance right. Okay. So if you use it, it's probably going to slow down your app a lot or use or increase the amount of memory that your app uses a lot. Mm-hmm. Again, I haven't used this particular one, but I've used similar ones in the past, and and because it's, it's got to do a lot of work in the background to keep track of everything. So, sure, sure. So use it for debugging, but uh, make sure you don't ship with it. <laughs> uh, yeah, oh, you mean like, <laughs> like rip it right out? Well, it's, it's got this if, if debug, um, right, right, um, and it, you know if debug and end if um, thing to it as well, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. it doesn't get loaded up unless you want it to. But like again, you, like you said, you could just test it on a, on a branch that has it in, and then remove it yeah. on another, on your release branch. Yeah, and if if you have stuff that's very timing critical, then you probably don't want to have it turned on. Yeah. Cool. All right. So, how many do you have a pick? Yeah, this is from uh, David K. Every on uh, Mac Keto. I didn't know this was a thing, so it's one of those like bits of Apple history. They're kind of neat. But apparently, in the early '90s, Apple was sending monthly CDs to developers, and at the beginning 
beginning, they were giving them funny names that were referencing some sort of movie. Um, like Disky Business, that was volume four, like Risky Business, right? Or Lord of the Files and uh, the Code Warrior and, and all sorts of things that are like, oh, wow, that's it's pretty neat. Like it was definitely a, a different time for a company, uh, company like Apple. Um, it would be hard to, to see them doing this same sort of thing now. But uh, they've added some fun. Like they've tried doing like the, the crusty thing, you know, the crusty character for protocol or indie programming and stuff. So uh, just more like a blast for the past. It's kind of cool. Some of these have um, images so you can see like Night of the living disc. So somebody went through the effort of creating some artwork for these two. Northern exposure. (laughs) Spinal trap. (laughs) CD slickers. Uh, Some of these are pretty good. The postman always clicks twice. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Oh, they dropped the cute names in 1994. Okay, that's why I haven't seen these before. Cool stuff. Oh, and they've got, if you click on it, you can see the front and the back. Oh, look at that. Yeah, not on every one of them. Um, These are the jackets, like the, the... Yeah, like the 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Some of them have the actual CD, too. Like, um, yeah. Night of the Living Disc has front, back, and the printed disc itself. Mm. Oh, actually, I might be the only one that has that. Jim, there's a moose on the Northern Exposure one. Of course. Wasn't there a TV show called that or something like that? Yeah, it was Nor- Northern Exposure was a TV show. That's, that's yeah. a fun. Wayne's World's got Wayne and, Wayne and uh, Garth. Other people's memory. Oh, other people's money. Ha-ha. Yeah, yeah. You remember that? It was um, Danny DeVito, and I forget who the other person was. It's like a husband and wife scam artist, if I remember correctly. Well, maybe his own wife, his actual wife. Oh, um, uh, Pearl. Carla from um, um, Cheers? Yeah, her name's Pearl something. Oh, Rhea Perlman. Rhea Perlman, yeah, yeah. Ask the Bostonian, he'd know. Yeah. Oh, look, there's a moose. What's on the back? This is what I'm saying. There's another moose. It doesn't look very moose-like. It must be a girl moose. It's a big antler. Like an American moose, not a Canadian moose. That's true. Or a Norway moose. Norway, Norwegian yeah. moose, yes. The Norwegian moose. The dreaded Norwegian moose. All right, well, I guess that's it for the another week. So, hey, Mark, if people want to get in touch with you, where would they... Where would they look? Mark R at smapsoft.com. All right. And Jaime, if people want to find you on the interwebs. I'm on Twitter as at devathair. Okay. And I am Timitra, T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A on the Twitter machine. And that's a good way to get a hold of me. And so I guess until next week, we'll say bye-bye. Bye. Bye. <laughs> All right. If you want to find out more about the podcast or see the episode show notes, visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. You can get in touch with us on the website or follow us on Twitter at mtjc underscore podcast. If you have feedback or questions, send us a tweet with the hashtag AskMTJC. If you like the show, please consider recommending us to a friend, writing a review on iTunes, or pledging any amount at patreon.com slash mtjc. You can find details on how to help us out on our website at mtjc.fm slash sponsor us. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.
that up and, and Mark's getting all prepped. Let me, um, let me share the, the photo of the, well, I didn't share a cooked photo now that I think about it, but I had, uh, some of the beyond meat this week so we can, oh, yeah. we can chat okay. about that pre-show after show. Oh, so you stuff. got the actual product, like the actual not prepared stuff. Yeah. 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 Unfortunately I didn't see any providers that provide it cooked. So yeah. Does it, does it come? Um, cause Carol and I were just, I just got Carol her first beyond meat burger today. Oh. Um, she was impressed. Do you, uh, does it come with, um, does it come frozen? Let me, uh, I don't know if there's a frozen version. It was like a, like a normal piece of meat. Let me, let me send you guys the picture. I'll put it in the sure. Slack. Like just like regular ground beef kind of stuff or that's kind of what it looks what? like. Did let me, it? Let me go in the Slack. Okay. Yeah. I swear. I, so I had one the other day with like, I, Carol doesn't like mayo. So I decided to get it without mayo the other day. And so just tomato, lettuce and pickle and I think ketchup on the bottom. And, um, and I got it with cheese. Right. And I'm, I'm halfway through eating the thing and I'm like, I could swear that it was actually meat and it might've been the, the cheese throwing my, my, uh, senses off, but it's hard pressed to tell. And I had one again today. We had one this evening and I was hard pressed to tell whether it was, uh, actual meat. Like, you know, I thought they made a mistake or something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that's from the, that's from the, um, that's going to be our, our uh, show shot this week. <laughs> so, yeah. So this is not the a Beyond visual meat medium, podcast. but I'm certain we will have this in the show notes. So those of you driving at home. So yeah. last week we were talking about the, uh, Beyond Meat burger that sure. Tim was fortunate enough to have professionally cooked by the fine folks at, uh, A&W. And, mm-hmm. uh, unfortunately, semi-professional. Yeah. Um, I don't have any similar A&Ws or other restaurants and providers that, uh, you know, cook it for you. So, uh, fortunately I did have a local provider in Safeway who had this, uh, in their store. It's the beyond, what did it say here? Beyond meat, the beyond burger, plant-based burger patties. And, uh, you know, they were, it was just like, like the, the package looks really big and I really wish I'd taken a picture of it when it was opened up. But those, if you notice, uh, the combined weight is a half a pound, whereas, uh, normal meat, like probably right next to it is like a full pound of meat for that same, uh, so, club yeah, price so of four ninety nine dollars sort of thing. Was that? It's twice the price then. I guess it was uh, four ninety nine versus five dollars for a full pound. Yeah, that's that's more or less what I came to in in my calculation. Um, you know, it's it's pretty good. It's I think as I mentioned on the show, I was fairly confident it wasn't going to uh, fool me in any sort of blind taste test. But it's actually really good. It's pretty close. Um, I think the biggest thing for me is uh, the fact that it um, it tends to crust more like a regular burger than say like Morning Star or veggie burger and all these other ones. And by far the best thing is it's got that sort of fatty feel to it. Like as if it has, yeah, yeah. you know, animal fat in it and, and it doesn't, right? It's like, uh, it's not, pro- it's not soy. I think it's like pea protein if I remember correctly. Yeah. It's mung beans, uh, rice, potato, um, half a pomegranate for some reason. They use beet juice, you know, give it that pink color. Mm-hmm. And what else? Uh, yeah. It's pretty much most of what they, what's in there. Yeah. Yeah. I think the people who do burgers, they call it the uh, slightly innuendo sounding mouth feel and the the mouth feel is, is pretty good for for that burger it, it you know I just put it on some and it's got that crumble texture too that burger has as well mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right it uh, it doesn't feel like the like flat, dry, you know, Morningstar kind of things, which, you know, have gotten a lot better. Like they'll, they'll, they'll make some decent ones, but this, I put some cheese on it. Some, you know, I like ketchup instead of mayonnaise myself and, um, you know, some lettuce, tomato, put on some slices of bread and it was pretty satisfying. I didn't really feel, um, hungry afterwards. And, you know, I had that with uh, a salad and some chips, potato chips. And, uh, even, you know, for the price, yeah, you're probably getting less in terms of, uh, quantity. And I don't know how to perfectly match, you know, I know 
know what a pound of beef, you know, is like and how much, you know, you can fill up people's bellies with that. I don't know the same thing for this, but it's, it's pretty close. I think because it's a little bit more dense and it's got the, probably the roughage in it being plant-based. So I'd, I'd say it was a, it was a pretty good experience. I don't know that I'll buy them all the time, but, uh, it is pretty nice to, to have as a, as an option, particularly if you're going to go toss things, you know, burgers on the grill and enjoy the, the nice summer sun. Yeah. Well, like I said, my wife has been feeding me turkey burger, turkey, like ground beef, like not ground beef, but ground turkey instead of beef. And then we've had, I've been eating chicken dogs for, I don't know, 10 years now. So, so this is a welcome relief for me. Like, cause you know, it, it's very much like uh like a regular hamburger feels like, you know, in fact, like, you know, when I, I kind of equate it to the ones I've had at the NW are very, like they're better. They're, they're similar in texture to the actual burgers you get there, which aren't necessarily the greatest, you know, experience either. Right. Like they're not like a, like a properly barbecued where you make the, you know, you get the onion, so- onion soup mix and you mix it in with the sausage and whatever, make your own patties and stuff like that. Not similar to that, but not quite as, as good as that. But you're right. It, it, it's, it's, it definitely would fool you. We were thinking, so I've got my, um, my daughter-in-law is a vegetarian and then my, you know, Jonathan and his two kids. And we were, Carol and I were just joking about letting, letting Sherry in on the joke and then sort of saying, Hey, you know, we'll come over, we'll cook some burgers for you. And then, and then Sherry could go, you know, I think I'll try one of those today just to blow the other kids' minds, right? <laughs> that their mother would eat some meat, right? Yeah. And see what they think, you know, because, because I, I think definitely if, if you, I, I defy people to take this burger and try it without knowing what it is and, and, and say whether it's meat or not. Right. I mean, that's the goal. The goal is to try and make meat uh without using without using animal animal material right so yeah i i think it was really convincing and um when I got the package and said, "Hey, we should make this," you know, my fiance is uh, as a vegetarian as well. She was like right. really hesitant. I had to show her, like, "Look, look, here's the ingredients and here's the website. This is, this is not meat. I know they, they packaged it exactly like meat. They made it to look as much as possible." And I, I showed her yeah, the picture. That, that whole yeah, it's in the meat aisle. It's not. Oh, well, actually, I didn't go check to see if there was additional product in the um, you know, like the veggie burger veggie burger section of uh of the store. But I actually think it would be a pretty smart thing for them to put it in both, right? Like if you're trying trying to sell it as a meat yeah, substitute. Yeah. Of course you want to put it in the place where vegetarians expect to find their substitutes. But I think it was a pretty bold and smart idea to put it in the normal meat aisle too. It was right there next to the normal beef. We just, you want people to be like, well, what's this? Mm. Well, you know, so-and-so's, you know, spouse or significant other is, is coming to the barbecue and we need some, yeah, let's, that way they don't have to just eat, you know, grilled veggies. Let's, let's get them this and see if they'll like it. I think it, it well, even, even still like most hamburger, they put, um, uh, they put bread in it right to make them to make it have stand up and have texture and stuff like that and not fall apart for fiber i guess to sort of string it together and that's that's got gluten in it right so people who like this is totally gluten-free as well that's another really important point about it you know for oh i didn't even check that on the package but I, I think you're right it had uh, it had pieces soy free and gluten free as i think what it said on the package yeah i don't know what to do with soy but why it has to be soy free i don't mind soy soy material myself i think there's people so, who have allergies on it oh because it's like sort of yeah well i mean yeah i, I kind of wondered about that because the mung beans are sort of a legume based thing and some people have allergy like i have peanut allergy which is and peanuts a legume right so interesting stuff more than just me. i've had like four of them at a and w in the last two weeks so yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah i get it without I, I asked for it without mayo because they put they put um like like you know they put mayo on burgers to make them i don't know to make them more like juicier i find they just fall apart and they get really gooey that way but um they put uh they call it chubby sauce which is i guess their chicken um sauce on one on the one 
one part of the the bun and the other bun, other bun they put in uncle sauce so it kind of has some sort of flavor combination with the with the ketchup and the mustard and the pickle in the bottom right so um but otherwise yeah even without the without the mayo if you just sell them whole the mayo and you know like i said a friend of mine the other day got it with just ketchup on it and they weren't they weren't impressed but then i uh, my friend darren who's who wasn't impressed with it when he tried it a uh, friend of the show darren by the way uh when he tried it with me last week he wasn't impressed but he said he spoke to two of his friends and they they just loved it so go figure i think it's an, it might be in a bit of an acquired taste too or if i guess if you're but like your girlfriend i kind of wonder like is there a psychological disadvantage for her eating this because she she can't get her head past the fact that it's not meat right i mean she seemed to she seemed to enjoy it she was just hesitant when i broke out the package and was like hey let's make some burgers tonight she's like what are you talking about <laughs> we don't have any veggie <laughs> burgers like, no, no, no i bought this thing it's fine yeah. it's not it's not meat trust me What's a new developer requirement? So, so there, I, there was some threads going around at work that about like so some of like we don't have as developers so everything's split up right. So we have access to the developer site. We don't have access to iTunes Connect or uh, App Store Connect or whatever it's called now. Mm-hmm. But there's some change happening on the way teams are set up. Is that what this article is about? No, this is not at all related to Apple. This is related to Twitter. Oh, is it? Oh, okay, okay, okay. Oh, yeah, because blog Twitter. But have you guys heard that there's some change coming down with the um oh yeah, yeah the team and the agent just uh, bookkeeping inside. I- iTunes Connect or App Store Connect. Oh, okay. Uh, remember, there was there was this whole there were all these different categories of there's yeah. you know developer and there's like app manager and and marketing and all that. They're just reorganizing that stuff. I think it's pretty right. pretty much a non thing from our point. Are of you view. sitting close to your mic, Mark? Uh, no, I am. That? <laughs> That's better. But yeah, okay. no, because yeah, because because they were talking at work about like I'm an admin, so when new developers come on board, I you know get them to make an Apple ID and then I add them to the team, then they can build and blah blah blah, right? But that's on the developer portal, right? Right, right. So is that kind of administrative? That's gonna that role is changing apparently. From what I hear, like the the um, not just because like, sure. you have the team agent and then you have administrators. So what were you saying about the changing? Like changing so the they're roles? just yeah, no, they're just reorganizing the the roles. I, I haven't looked into the details, but when I did look at it, it didn't seem like it was anything interesting. No, now no maybe stoppers. for you because you have your access is split up and limited. But you yeah. know, for me, I'm you know an iTunes Connect admin, so I have access to everything. So right, it yeah, affect me, you know, yeah, I do personally, but like I said, at, at the corporation, I don't. Right, 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 right. Okay, yeah, I think they're gonna. They're, I mean, the solution for us is we're just gonna change our roles as far as like the mm-hmm. people who were admins before are gonna get this new whatever role we need, right? Yeah, the bit about me going back to geography class. He was listening to the show, but he hadn't heard our our. That was from the previous show, not not the one we just released. But yeah, the touch bar tips is, should come in. Oh, was he, yeah, he, was he being snarky about it, saying you have to go back to class? Tim needs to go back to Canadian geography uh, class, Yukon Territory, next to Alaska. Because I had said that in on the recording. Actually, you know, and I fixed it in last week's recording, so this won't go on the show. But <laughs> in the recording, I said that uh, the Northwest Territories was like, right against Alaska, but it's actually the Yukon Territory. So it used to be Yukon Territory. Territory is kind of this this narrowish sort of state shaped thing, and it but the borders right on Alaska, and then the Northwest Territories was the rest of it, right up, up to Hudson's Bay and all that. And uh, that's the part. They, so they broke off the right hand side of that and called it Nunavut, and then there's a middle part called Northwest Territory still. And and why, did, why did they do that? Why did they break off the the Northwest Territories? Yeah. I think well, like I said before, there there's a couple of there's a lot of Inuit people up there, right. and they felt to honor them, give them their own their own space, whatever. Oh. 
Okay. Yeah. So remember, so we looked at the population. The populations were really tiny. Well, that's what I was. That's what I was saying. The, the whole thing about the zombie apocalypse is that like there's lots of room up there to you know. I mean, you got to learn how to survive in the snow and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, they're they're they want they like living up there. What can I say? <laughs> you know. And oh, it's yeah, one of these I, things I'm where not, yeah, I'm not knocking them for it. I'm just saying it's it seems kind of strange that with such a small population that you'd have to split it up into different pieces. Yeah. No, I think I think it was just it's like giving. You know, we weren't doing anything with the land. I guess it's, a, it's I guess the attitude, right? Anyway, so. Um, and, and it's interesting too that there's like a, there's a sort of like not the 49th parallel, but there's another parallel higher than that. Maybe it is the 49th parallel, but like for instance, when when we were working, on, no, it can't be can't be that low because I think it's a 50th parallel or something like that, or 51st. But we like Walmart and places like that won't ship. Uh, flammable um, materials that far because because they all oh, they send all their stuff by plane right and you can't you know the stuff compressed gas and and flammable liquids and stuff like that you can't fly those right or apparently you can't fly them um, or it's dangerous too and so I remember when we used to do like a northern version of the Walmart flyer it would have a shorter list of things that, that were available up there and that's kind of like to ship up to north of north of north parts of Canada northern provinces and north parts of Ontario and that kind of stuff right so I was just always thought it was kind of weird but uh, but then I found it up they're not being able to fly up their part. Anyway, way too much Canadian history on this show, or Canadian geography. For me, anyway. <laughs> yeah, I just, I just remember the cool guys like Cabot and Champlain and, you know, the guys who kind of explored. Like, they're like your, um, oh, who are the two guys at uh, Clark and who explored? Uh, Lewis. West, Lewis and Clark, yeah. So we had, you know, Jacques Cartier came down the St. Lawrence and kind of discovered things. And Champlain came down and, dis- and there's all these places named after them as well, right? So famous ge- uh, Canadian explorer or French explorers came and explored Canada because Canada was actually French before it was before it was British, which is why we still speak French. Right? And Montreal and Quebec, Montreal, yeah, not Montreal, yeah, Montreal. You're right, yeah, Mont- Mont- Quebec, Montreal, huh? something like that. Montreal, yeah, Montreal, yeah. There's an accent on the e as well, and it's not Mont, it's Mont, Mont, yeah, Mont- Montreal. And, and then uh, and Quebec is Quebec, not Quebec as it's spelt. People still say Quebec. I hear it from time to time. People say that. <laughs> On, on vacation in September to the Grand Canyon. Oh, really? Yeah. Have you been there before? Or? I've never been there before. But um, so my sister and her family and are coming out, and they're bringing my parents, actually. So I'm going to go and, oh, yeah. go and see them. I haven't seen them in a while. Are you going to do that? Uh, I forget what they call it. It's like the Infinity Walk or something. I have no idea. What's that? It's. Uh, I'll have to find the actual name. I, I think it's on uh, like one of the reservations has it. Oh, is and, it like a clear, clear uh, like a boardwalk or whatever? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like over the Grand Canyon. So you can look straight down, like Wiley e. Coyote style, and see uh, the bottom of the canyon. Oh, that would be kind of even cool. though you're, you're kind of creepy. Let me see that would be kind of cool. Yeah, I'm not going there. <laughs> Are you afraid of heights, Tim? Yeah, yeah. I, I'm afraid. I'm allergic to pain, but um, no, I, I have a I have a healthy respect for heights. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Like we have a we have a um, glass floor on the CN Tower. Um, I can stand next to it, but I cannot stand on top of the glass. Hmm. You know, and of course, my nieces and nephews and stuff they can all lie down on it and roll around and stand on the edge yeah. and kind of hang over. <laughs> well, we have this. You have the CN Tower Walk too, where you can you can actually go up. They have like a they had a like a a metal ring around the top of the CN Tower on the main observation deck, and it was there for cleaning. So uh, they they now put you in an orange jumpsuit with a with a helmet on, like that's going to help. And uh, they attach you to this tether, and people walk around the they call it a, a skywalk or something like that, and they walk around the outside of the CN Tower, and you know, and they get 
something to you know spread their legs and then hang out at the end of this tether. So you're hanging out over over the you know nothing, <laughs> as it were, right? So yeah, now I'm not going there either. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mark, I put it in the Zoom chat. It's oh. Skywalk at Eagle Point. Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's even a restaurant in the same area. 4,000 feet above. Oh, oh this is... Yeah, Tim, you'd be okay in this. It's it's very wide. Yeah, yeah no, I've, I've seen video of it. I think they've upgraded it. But the version I remember seeing was like, you could just walk straight out and walk straight back. Now it looks like they made it fancier uh, with better views and probably integrated. I'm assuming this building is probably integrated into the oh, restaurant. Oh, this isn't what I saw. No, no, you're right. No, I saw something where you walk along the edge of a... Um, it's like the edge of the canyon and, you know, like, so one, one side, like on your right hand side is is the rock and then the right, left hand side is like a balcony and then but the the the, the floor is clear says nervous about walking on glass almost a mile above the grand canyon have no fear the skywalk is strong enough to bear the weight of 70 747 passenger jets cool i think you'd be fine too you think so yeah, yeah. i'd be walking on the frosted glass part see that there <laughs> <laughs> yeah wait for the uh you know don't don't go with the american tourists wait for the tourists from like east asia to go and like all right that's yeah. probably fine for the uh the weight limit yeah you can see the uh, cn tower skywalk i posted it there for you mark uh oh. in the in the chat i can give the gift of edge walk to you hmm. well that's kind of far oh away i see on the, for this trip <laughs> that's true yeah i was seeing something on where is it that canada was doing really good in terms of the number of tech jobs yeah yeah i saw that too we're, we're beating in linkedin toronto who just beat the bay area in tech jobs toronto is the clickbait yeah headline they show where's where's a better chart toronto had something like twenty eight thousand technology jobs created in 2017 yeah seattle at almost 10 new york at almost 10 dc at around five in the bay area yeah like a couple thou i guess i don't really know how they're determining some of these because those numbers seem a little out of whack um just trying to make sure it's not percentage based in any way but that's pretty good for for toronto though like adding all those jobs yeah yeah and apparently amazon's going to be opening up a new place uh, north of toronto uh, just like a warehousing place, whatever. But we're still running apparently for that uh, fabulous HQ two HQ yeah. thing. Yeah, you're right. I saw that on on that same article on um, LinkedIn this morning. I didn't want to rub it in with you guys, you know, but. <laughs> <laughs> See, what they should say is like, well, wait, hold on. Like, what's the salary for these jobs? Like, yeah. Are people well, just outsourcing you know, it, to... There actually was... A, I saw something recently. It was a cost of living versus um, salary thing. And, you know, New York and San Francisco still seem to be really expensive places to live, right? Oh, insanely expensive. Yeah. 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 Our, our standard of living per dollar is, is lower, for sure. Yeah. I mean, so even, you know, even with the, with the higher salaries that we get here, uh, I don't mm-hmm. think, you know, I, I don't think we... An engineer, a typical engineer here, doesn't live as well as a typical engineer in another city who's making less money. Right, right. Especially housing is insane. Yeah, yeah. I think I was reading because Toronto's housing prices are pretty high, but I think they have a lot of dense rental market stuff. So that's how people are able to live in the city, even if the um, even if the salaries aren't Bay Area style salaries. Is that where you read it on uh, Instagram or on um, LinkedIn, Jaime? I think I saw it through Slashdot, and it was a Bloomberg article that they linked to is this the original source yeah it says cbre group 1900 jobs yeah 
Oh, there's some there's some stat I just I see and I quote sometimes that um, there's going to be like a, a whole bunch of jobs by 2020 that are going to go unfilled. Well, that that might be area. why the number here is is so low is that there's an enormous amount of demand, but the supply is pretty low. Uh, there's just not enough people to fill all these jobs. There's there's right. tons of openings. I mean, I'm it's I'm, I'm back to the point where I'm getting like one or two cold you know cold calls from recruiters like a day now. It's crazy. Oh, I see. They so Bloomberg. <laughs> The the re analysis here makes it difficult. All right, so let me put this from the Bloomberg article. It was CBRE that did the analysis. Yeah. Okay, so there's like rankings on, on various metrics. Not very surprising to me. Bay Area, Seattle, DC, Toronto, New York, Austin, Boston, Raleigh, Durham, Atlanta, and Denver. Uh, more surprising to me is the the change in Ottawa. Yeah. Um, especially considering its proximity to Toronto. Uh, they show the labor cost versus how good, which is <laughs> I'm not even sure how you <laughs> you determine that one. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting. Um, rate of job growth was faster during the past two years 2016 2017 compared to the prior two years 2014 2015 okay so i see a pattern already chart do you see this tech tech talent quality versus cost analysis yeah this is kind of an interesting chart it's kind of i don't know halfway down look at that no wonder there's all these developers and they're opening up the you know opportunities for in toronto it's dirt cheap so you get high quality very high quality labor but it's like 65k yeah Mm. and look at if you have to go all the way to the right to see seattle in the bay area (laughs) yeah Yeah, Portland. Okay, so there you go. Ottawa and Montreal still in that very high range. Look at Vancouver, but fifty-five. It's. I mean, it's. It's. It looks like it's only behind Barrie, Seattle, Austin, and Boston. So it's fifth highest in quality, and it's the lowest price. Wow. So if you want to open a company, it sounds like Vancouver is the place to do it. You want to hire people. Yeah. Toronto's not too far behind. I guess the Canadian cities are probably skewed low on the labor cost because of the exchange rate. Mm, possibly. Yeah. Because if you look at all the ones that are kind of riding at the bottom of low cost, Vancouver, Toronto, Montreal. I'm kind of curious. I'm look. I'm down at the um, the asking price for rent and office vacancy. So mm-hmm. DC has a pretty decent chunk of vacancy at 17% office vacancy, mm-hmm. but their asking rent is top three at $39.73 per square foot, probably. Mm-hmm. So that's the sort of thing where I feel like um, the regulations can can spur people to to need to rent. Yeah, you, know, you make it less desirable to let. Because for what I what I read from this is that the taxation probably is, is favorable where it's better to just let your office sit vacant and just wait for a better deal from a renter rather than the uh, landowners feeling like they need to, to rent in order to, you know, rent it to somebody even at a discount in order to stop from losing money. Yep. Anyway, turning into a pumpkin here. All right. Call Already. It, call it a night. Sounds good. Yeah. Talk to you later. Right. Talk to you later. Okay, bye. Bye.